0: Welcome to The First 10 Years, a career podcast focused on learning from our past to propel us into the future. I'm your host, Danielle Doolin. I'm a communications professional, career and finance writer, and a career changer. But most importantly, I'm fascinated by work and how it fits into the bigger picture of life. I love to ask questions and want to know everything there is to know about how to have a successful and fulfilling career. On The First 10 Years podcast, I'll reflect on my career journey thus far and invite other professionals and experts into the conversation. So, we can learn together how to turn the first 10 years of our career into a foundation for our ideal future. Welcome back to the First 10 Years podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Doolin, and I am so excited for today's guest and conversation. When I was toying around with starting a podcast last fall, and when I finally decided to do it and move forward, this was the first person that came to mind to reach out to because. Her podcast was the first podcast I was a guest on. So I was like, I have to reach out to Karen. I need to connect with her. She so graciously reached out to me to have my story and some um, experience on her podcast back in 2021. The podcast episode aired in 2022. I can link it in the show notes, but I was just so excited to return the favor and have her on my podcast. And I'm so glad I did because this is probably one of my favorite conversations that I've had to date on the podcast. Karen is just a wealth of knowledge. And we talked about all things careers and career coaching and companies and career growth and all of that stuff, all of the reasons why I decided to start this podcast. So I'm just so excited to have her on. It has been such a pleasure. And like I said, I'll, I'll link the show notes in the show notes on um, the episode of hers podcast that I was on. Um, it's funny, because I was telling her before we started recording that we recorded that episode in November of 2021. It aired, I think in the spring of 2022. But I was in such a postpartum fog um, that no, I think it actually I think it I think I'm a year off. I think we recorded it in November 2020 and it aired in 2021. So it's been a little bit. Um, But I was in such a postpartum fog that I was a little bit nervous to re-listen to the episode when it finally came out because I I was like, oh my gosh, did everything I say even make sense? Was I forming cohesive thoughts? I was so nervous. Um, But it turns out it was fine. Everything was fine. But um, yeah, I, I was a bit nervous and it was probably one of the most vulnerable times in my life to be recording a podcast and be a guest. But It was a great conversation and I share about my career change and how I went from accounting to communication. So if you want to learn more about that, check out her podcast. Um, She's since renamed it. It used to be Getting Off the Hamster Wheel. It's now Shine at Work and it's a great podcast uh, hosted by her and another career coach. So there's a lot of great information on there as well. But let me share a little bit more about Karen Weeks. With over 20 years of HR leadership experience, Karen has focused on building amazing cultures within organizations so that individuals can ignite their careers. She cares about people so much that she is the Global Chief People Officer at Obviously, a VML WPP company and founded the coaching business Shine at Work. She hosts the career development podcast, also called Shine at Work, and is the author of Setting the Stage, a guide to preparing for any feedback conversation. As a corporate speaker, she enjoys sharing stories and actionable advice so that people can shine at work and in life. She currently lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with her husband and fur babies. I'm so excited for y'all to listen to this conversation today, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, here's Karen Weeks. Karen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Hi, thank you so much. It's reciprocal. You know, it's nice to do this uh, on the other side.
0: Yes, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as a guest because you were my first podcast interview back no, in 2021. Know. So I was like, you're the first person I thought of when I was like, I'm starting a podcast. I have to reach out to Karen.
1: Oh, that's so exciting! I love it. Well, you were early days of my podcast, so. I'm <laughs>
0: Yes. It's been a journey and it's so fun. So thank you for being here with us today. Um, I always ask all of my guests when I start our conversations to walk me through the first 10 years of your career, starting with what you wanted to be when you grew up.
1: Yeah. So if I go back to my childhood, I actually really wanted to be an astronaut.
0: (laughs) Um, Wow. That's a first.
1: I then very quickly realized what that actually meant, um, and that was not going to be the path I was going to take. I then did, you know, the typical like, teacher. I actually thought for a while maybe I'd be some sort of therapist. So basically, I was just always sort of around helping people and being a part of an interesting experience. I was very curious as a kid, so that was sort of, I think, the through line. I then very quickly was introduced to the arts and I fell in love with theater and I was the theater kid. I mean, in college, I had posters of musical theater shows on my wall. My friends and I could do like a full soundtrack front to back without the soundtrack because we knew the show so well. So this was this was my group. Um, so in college I studied stage management. Um, I loved it. It was exactly what I wanted in like I found my niche within theater. So I started doing it professionally, but very quickly, I realized that that lifestyle is really hard. It's like being an actor. You never know where your next gig is going to be. You never know if you're going to have a gig. At best, you're lucky and you get a six-month residency somewhere, but that's when you're really lucky. Even working in New York, your show could be a hit or it could close in four days. So very quickly, I realized that that was not right for me either. So then we went out to LA and I worked in uh, Hollywood. I was an assistant at a talent agency. It was interesting. I learned a lot. It was hard because my whole life was on the East Coast. So we were so disconnected from our family. Um, Additionally, Hollywood is hard. I mean, like it is very, what can you do for me in this moment? You have to show up here. You have to show up there. Everybody tells you every single day, you're lucky to have this job. So buck up and I don't care if you're working till midnight, just do it. And that didn't feel right for me from like a value standpoint. So I felt like I had kind of checked all the boxes of like, well, if I'm going to stay in the arts, being in the actual art wasn't helpful from a livelihood standpoint, being on the business side of the arts took away all the fun. So what the heck am I going to do? So I was about three years in at this point. Um, I did what I now do with all my coaching clients, but I, you know, asked people, what, what do I, what should I do next? I realized what I really enjoyed if I boiled it down was creating a shared experience. So as a stage manager, you're bringing the production together every single night for the audience. Um, And then as a, with a talent agency, even though it was with actors, I was helping people with their careers um, and sort of setting them up on interviews. And so people kind of said, I think that might be HR. And this was 2002, 2003. And HR was still very much the traditional HR. It wasn't people and culture. It wasn't employee experience yet. But it was still the idea of helping people be successful at work um, and creating a work environment that they enjoyed. And so I got into HR. And I was very junior level in the beginning because I didn't know anything because I had never even really worked except for like summer jobs or whatever outside of theater. So my first five years were very much... Um, just learning the ropes, taking whatever projects I could, just so I can learn. I got my HR certification. I worked for big companies. I worked for little companies, and then about right about the ten year from like a total work standpoint was really when I started to get more into like the startup field, more tech oriented companies, um, and still navigating from like HR generalist to HR specialist. But really, kind of found the industries that I enjoyed being a part of, and the rest is history.
0: As a fellow theater kid myself, I have to know, what was your favorite musical?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it really depended on sort of what show I was doing. Like the Who's Tommy will always have a special place in my heart because when I worked it, it was a very tight group. And so like the friendships were very special. Um, I always loved Miss Saigon because I just the thought like telling such a powerful story through song was really impactful. But the, the show that we could do front to, uh, to end was Avita, And I don't know Ooh. why that was like the show we knew. But yeah, we would drive from North Carolina up to Boston because that's where I was in school and that's where we were from. And we would like sing the whole soundtrack and like, what soundtrack are we going to do next? And that, that was us. <laughs>
0: That sounds like me and my friends in high school. We grew up in the rent heyday. So we actually had mm-hmm. the opportunity to see Rent on Broadway before it went off. And it was like, we could sing that front to back. Like, uh, So I completely understand where you're coming from. And that was like the good old days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what happened once you hit that year mark and you kind of felt like you've like, laid that foundation in HR, where did the rest of your, your HR career take you? Yeah.
1: So it was really interesting. I was very purposeful with it. And I try to really encourage people to think about, it's. you aren't going to know where your career can go until you try different things. So I would be an HR generalist for a little while and then I find an opportunity to work in compensation and I realized I hated compensation and it was and it hated me so like it was the wrong fit but I learned a lot by being in that role that when I went back to a more generalist role I was taking that experience with me and had a lot more empathy understanding credibility when I had to talk comp to somebody um Then I'd be a generalist for a while, like an HRBP, and then I did training for a while. And I absolutely loved the training and development space. Um, It truly, even when I would be in HR leadership roles or other sort of roles that were not specifically training focused, the coaching, the development, thinking about careers, which is why I think this podcast is so amazing, it would always be the crux of how I would talk to folks about things. Um, So that really spoke to like more of my soul and, you know, going back to the kid thing, except for maybe an astronaut, um, it was the helping people. And I want people to feel successful, happy, engaged. And if you don't, that's okay. And let's make a change. Like you don't have to stay somewhere if you're not happy. Like I get, you got to pay your rent and that kind of stuff. But if you're truly not happy somewhere, or you've kind of hit a plateau or you're just kind of tired, um, I don't mean like literally tired, but like you've kind of done all you can do somewhere, it's okay to leave. And I think sometimes people don't always know how to have that conversation or when to have that conversation. So, so all of that has kind of helped me, whether I'm in an HR leadership role, whether I'm coaching someone or you know whatever role I'm in, I try to always take that sort of perspective because you'll be happier. The business, frankly, will be more successful. Um, everybody will just be in a better place.
0: It seems like you really have a sense of clarity for what works and trying things out and having that uh, ability to try new things and not be afraid of that and even knowing at such a young age, you said you were three years into your career, career when you're like, hey, I want to help people. Has, did you always have that at the time, or is that kind of in hindsight that you've you've learned that common thread?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think it was probably always naturally there a little bit, but when I look back, so even when I was a freshman in college, um, Elon's a great school down in North Carolina. At the time their theater program was very new and they had never had anyone who wasn't on the acting path. So I was the first technical person. And at first I was a little like, oh, maybe this isn't the right place for me. But then the technical director of the school and like the designer, they're like, we would love to figure this out and we'd love for you to help us figure it out. Um, and so at the time I was like, yeah, that's cool. Let's just do it. But now with all my experience, looking back on it, I was like, oh, I was kind of always in startup mode or I was always in let's figure this out, reflective How can I help build something? So I think it's actually, for whatever reason, always been part of my DNA, and it's just showed up in different ways. And I just didn't maybe have the words for it
0: earlier in my career. Absolutely. So from your transition from theater to chief people officer and career coach, how has your definition of success changed throughout that experience?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it really has changed more because of where I was in life and then how career overlapped with that. So there were times when in my life I wanted to be more ambitious. I wanted to give it all into my career because my life was a pretty in a stable place or for whatever the reason was. And so I'd give a little bit more to my career and I'd be really pushing the midnight oil and like working around the clock because I was really dedicated to a project. I was really trying to get that promotion, whatever the thing was. There were other times where there was stuff going on in life where I had to take my foot off the gas a little bit on my career because I just needed to focus on other things, whether that was, um, you know, family stuff or marriage or like whatever, you know, the thing was. And so at that point, it was more about I just I need boundaries. And so maybe I'm not leaning in as much or maybe I'm taking a step back or, or whatever the case was. So I think my definition of success is really more holistic around what do I need at this stage of my life and my career and where do those two things come together? Um, And when I think about like different people that I've coached, that's usually one of the first questions I ask is what do you see happening in your life over the next few years and, and in your career and where do those, where are those bridged together? Because they're not going to happen in silos. If you are gung ho about getting a promotion your home life needs to know that because you may not be as present at home. Or if you are in a place where you're taking care of a parent, a kid, a partner, uh, yourself, you can't also give 120% to work. And so what job do you need or what conversations do you maybe need to have in order to find that? It's balanced, but it's actually more about like integration and the give and take.
0: That's so important. It's. It ebbs and flows with the seasons of life. And it sounds like you've had the philosophy of making work work for you versus you living to work, which I think is so important and a really valuable message for people to hear because it is going to ebb and flow. And I think something that I've struggled with or I've like grappled with over the first 10 years is, well this looks different now than it did then. And it's going to like, I am now married. I now have a child. Like there are different things that happen in life that are going to influence your, your work. And it shouldn't just be all about work. It should be, how do we, like you said, integrate those two things together to find what feels good and feels like success for us. Yeah. And I think and it, and I love
1: what you just said about like success for us. Like we live in such a FOMO, comparison, whatever society that I literally was just talking to a really good friend of mine who is wicked ambitious. She had all the big titles, all the big jobs, all the big degrees. And she chose to take a step back in her career and really focus more on home life. And she was very scared. She She knew it was right for a lot of different reasons, but she was very nervous about it. She's like, my whole life has been defined by this very ambitious and successful career. What is this going to look like? And she's now about, I don't know, maybe a year, 18 months out. And while it's very different, she's so happy and she's so glad she did it. And she said, but I'm not going to say I should have done it five years ago because I wasn't ready then. This was Mm -hmm. the moment for me to do it. Um, Other people have taken a step back and then taken a step back in and been like, Nope, that, that part of my life, is now at a better place or whatever like yeah um a great example is i was just working with someone who now has is an empty nester and she's like i want to go back to work because i took such a long break and now i'm actually leaning back in how should i do that because i've been out of the traditional workforce for so long so yeah it's about what's right for you and don't worry about what everybody else is doing like don't worry about it
0: (laughs) Yes. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. As you're saying that, I was thinking about a time shortly after I had my son. I think I was still on maternity leave. And I like distinctly remember I was talking to my husband sitting outside, like on the verge of tears, because I like couldn't grasp the concept of trying to find that balance. I'm like, well, I've always wrote, I've always been a freelance writer. Like, that's kind of the through line of my career. And I felt like it was too much at that time, obviously, because I have a newborn at home. It, it, It should feel like too much, but I like couldn't. I couldn't let go. And to me, it was like all or nothing. I'm like, well, either have to do it or not do it. And I'm like, but that's not the case. Like it, there's so much gray area and what works for you. And I, I like was so distraught. So I'm like, I either have to do it or not do it. And that's not, and now like three years down the road, I can like, Tell you like that's not the case. Like I eased back when it made sense for me, and like that was okay to let go of that. And now, when I had the time and the mental space and had some sleep, once my son got (laughs) a little bit older, I was able to to take on more. So it it comes and ebbs and flows, and that's okay. But it feels really hard when you're in it.
1: Yeah, and it's also okay for it to change. You know, so when I was at my last head of HR job for a startup. Um, during COVID, I started the side coaching business. And I really saw that as my next thing. Like I was going to stay with the startup until they had their exit, which every startup is is looking for. And that was going to allow me to then do my thing full time. And for a variety of reasons, I ended up deciding to go to another internal HR job where I still have the coaching on the side. And I, but I was part of this like, entrepreneur group um, and everybody was making the jump from corporate and all these things, which is wonderful. And I'm so proud of them and, and like kudos to all of them. But I felt like I was either failing or not, not being genuine to myself or something because I was actually thinking of this other internal move instead of the jump from corporate. And I had to, cause that was always my mantra was like, this is the thing. And then this, is going to allow me to do this. But at some point that just didn't make sense and that's okay. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to eventually make that jump or maybe I won't. Maybe it'll always just be a side thing. Who knows? But that's okay. Like this is what made sense for me at this moment.
0: It's truly wild. The expectations were like the internal pressure that we put on ourselves to do these things. I'm like, no one's telling us this. Like (laughs) it's this internal script that we're telling ourselves that like we should do this or I'm supposed to do this. Like, it's so hard and I, I don't have the answers. Maybe you do as a career coach, but like, I don't have the answers to how you fix that. But I think it's, it's um, reassuring to know that we're all, we are all go through it and we're all kind of in this together and it's, it's okay, like you said, to change your mind to, to do different things. And um, yeah, it's, as you're saying, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I relate so much to everything you're saying. So we're all going through the same things.
1: <laughs> we, are. we really are. And that's actually what I think is so ironic is that that internal voice really is our internal voice because 95% of the people who were in that group or like who I was anxious about telling that I was going to make this job change were so happy for me and either were just happy end of sentence like yay you or they said oh this is going to be so powerful for you if and when you do decide to do this full-time because now you've got all this new stuff under your belt that makes you this unique coach blah blah blah, blah, blah. and the 5% that weren't or didn't get it F them, like, who cares? Like, that's a sign that maybe you shouldn't actually be in my life. And so that's a good lesson, too. So it's our internal dialogue. It's rarely what's actually happening. Or, like I said, if it is, then maybe that's a decision of its own.
0: Exactly. I like to use the motto of, like, whenever I I fall down that rabbit hole, I'm like, well, who told you that? Like, uh, did somebody tell you that? Or is this just your internal voice? Like, have you heard this somewhere? Is there research behind this? Like, I'm a big data person. I'm like, who told you that's the case? And oftentimes it's like nobody, like (laughs) me, the voice inside my head told me this had to be this way. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really reassuring to know that, that we all go through this. Um, so as someone who made a major career change from theater to HR, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way?
1: Yeah, I think one is definitely be humble in that change. You know, I didn't know anything. Like, literally, I did not know anything. Um, And so it's okay to figure out a way to start from the beginning. Um, I mean, I know HR is such a tangential thing that, like, I didn't even know what leveling looked like. But if you're making a career change, it might mean taking a step back because you have to sort of build up those experiences. And maybe your previous experiences doesn't make you literally start from scratch, but like, have the humility to recognize you don't know what you don't know. Um, and be willing to sort of take a step back where it makes sense. And then just ask a lot of questions, be a sponge, think about how you learn. So I often get the question of, do I need to go to school? Do I need to take a class? Do I need this certification? It's really about, goes back to like, where, what gaps are you trying to fill? Like, what are the knowledge gaps or the skill gaps you're trying to uh, fill? And then what's the best way for you to learn that stuff? Um, it could be shadowing, it could be mentoring. It could actually be volunteering because that way you get the experience without all of the pressures of a job. and that builds your credibility. It could be going back to school. Um, so I think recognizing how best you learn and what gaps you're trying to fill, and then finding the path to do that. And then finally, um, whether you know you're extroverted, introverted, whatever like find a community of the new world you live in. So my HR community, whether literally formal through like groups I'm in or just people I've worked with over the years in our text chains um, really mean the world to me. And even 20 plus years into my HR career, I turn to them constantly about hey, I'm doing this. Has anyone gone through this? Does anyone know a resource for French labor law? Does anyone, you know, know someone who's on the market for this job? Like whatever the things are, we're constantly pinging each other and just, or just celebrating and um, supporting like, well, I had to lay some folks off today. That sucked. Yep. We understand. We love you. You're going to be okay. Everybody's going to be okay.
0: I'd argue it takes a level of confidence and grit to make that change. I mean, I went from accounting to communications and Faced a lot of imposter syndrome along the way because I didn't feel necessarily qualified to to make that change. Do you have any tips for combating that voice in our head that's telling us that we don't know what we're doing or we're not we're not good enough to to step into that new role? Yeah, I think it's really finding the skills that do transition
1: and what makes you unique. Um, because I actually recently went through this when I started coaching, I didn't have like all the fancy certifications that other people have. And I knew I had the skills. I did do an online course, but it was really more of like, look, I've been doing this internally for years. I know how to do this. And initially I pushed the HR side of me away and I was like trying to disconnect from that brand. And what I realized was that's actually what makes me unique as a coach is that I do have that perspective. And so, you know, in communications, um, as an accountant, like, you probably could manage a communications budget or a marketing budget really, really well. That may not be a skill that some other marketing people have because it's more of a creative field or like "I'm I'm making some stereotypes on purpose to make a point. But so think about, yes, you may not know these things, but you do know those things and those things will make you a more unique candidate. It will make you, it will bring a different perspective. It will add a value to a team that maybe traditionally isn't a part of that team. So I talked a lot about humility. So have the humility, but also recognize that you are a special and unique candidate by having this background and how are you going to leverage that to add more value, even if you
0: need to learn the other stuff? You make such a good point because I really do think, I found this with myself kind of after the fact, but if you flip that narrative, so a lot of people think, well, because I have this experience, I'm not qualified for this. But in reality, it's because I do have that experience. This is what makes me qualified for this. Like you said, there are transferable skills in your jobs that you can take and apply to whatever you're doing next. It may not be one for one. It may not be the same role or industry or type of company, but you can take what you've done and make that work for you and where you're going. Um, It's up to you to kind of tell that story about how you're getting from A to B.
1: Yeah. That's a lot of the work we do with our folks that are looking to make a career change is what story do you want to tell? And honestly, what story can you tell? And then how do you you know actually show that in a resume and interview like all that kind of stuff but it's really focusing on you know even when I went from stage managing to working out in LA when I, I was lucky enough that I happened to interview with a talent agent who used to be a stage manager early in his days. And so he literally knew, but he actually gave me this boost of confidence. He said, you know how to work with a lot of different personalities. You know how to keep people organized and on time and on track. Um, you will under, you understand enough of the production side That's what we're looking for. Like, you need to help make sure I am on track as, as your boss. You need to make sure the actors are getting to the auditions they need to get to. You've got to deal with a lot of tough personalities. Like, I know you can do this job, even if you haven't worked in an office before. So, you know, that really was sort of like my first lesson in understanding those translatable skills.
0: So as a career coach, and now we're in this new year, people are setting goals, everything like that. I'd love to know what some common career challenges you hear from your clients and kind of what we should be thinking about as we head into this new year.
1: Yeah, I think one is now seeing like LinkedIn and some of those other platforms where you can apply, you see how many people technically apply to a job. And I'm like one of thousands. And that can be really, uh, not demoralizing, um, demotivating, um, because you are like, oh my God, like I'm never gonna stand out from this crowd. But you have to realize that 90% of those applications are not even close to qualified, like it's just a mass blast uh, application. So if you really think you're qualified for the job, and by the way, you don't have to be qualified, you don't have to check every single box, like as long as you're checking like 60% of the boxes, submit a really thoughtful resume, a thoughtful cover letter, like, you know, adjust it for the role you're applying for, and you will stand out amongst the crowd. Even reach out to the recruiter or the hiring manager to say, hey, I just applied for this job. I'm super excited, like, but you will stand out. So don't let the LinkedIn number of applications hold you back from applying because most of those people are not qualified and the recruiter will notice
0: that very, very quickly, then they'll get to yours and be like, Ooh, a real candidate. Let me talk to them. I've actually heard that stat recently, that 90% of people that apply to a job are not, are not qualified. So I think like you said, it, that helps boost morale a little bit when you see the the magnitude of people applying.
1: Yeah. And like I said, it does not mean that you have to have everything. Like I'm saying, you know, someone like myself applies for like an engineering job. Like that's what I mean about like not qualified. Um, so You don't have to have all of the things. And I don't know how much of your audience is women, but, you know, typically women overanalyze if they're qualified for a job. Um, So 60 percent, like if you hit like the top two or three bullets, apply. You're good. Um, So that's definitely a big thing. I think from a more like... um, Uh, philosophical approach of like, uh, so that's like a very tactical thing, uh, but sort of more thinking big picture around people are trying to figure out how do I be more intentional in my career? So we've had a lot of people come to us say, I just kind of bounced from job to job because, you know, a former boss brought me over to another company. Uh, A friend of mine introduced me, a recruiter reached out to me, and I never sort of said Is this actually the path I want to be taking? And so taking a step back and being more intentional. um, So we actually did a workshop last month. And one of the first things we told people is like to kick off your job search is what kind of companies do you want to work for? What kind of roles are you targeting? So don't just like apply for every customer service role. What kind of companies do you want to work for? Or if you're in customer service, do you want to be more on like renewals or support or you know, account management, you know, there's so much within different departments. Or do you want to make a switch all around and you actually want to focus more on, you know, sales versus client services or whatever the things are, but really kind of take a pause and say what I really want out of this next step. Or if you're not sure, what do you want out of like two steps from now? And what do you need next in order to get to that three-year goal? Um, so I think those are some of the the themes that I'm seeing from folks as they're reaching out and trying to figure out what's next is, do I even make a change? And if so, why? Because I've never been intentional before. And then being overwhelmed by what you see in the market.
0: And to that point, it's important to remember that when you're interviewing for a job, you are interviewing that company as much as they are interviewing you, which I think helps play into that intentionality piece. So just because you have an interview and say you get the job doesn't mean you have to take it. It doesn't mean that you have to continue with the interview process. If there's something in your gut that's like, yeah, this doesn't feel quite right. Or I don't like X, Y, or Z. Like that's okay. That's what the interview process is for. So if you're really trying to be mindful and intentional in your, your next role or what your career looks like, like, just keep in mind, like you have that, ability to, to interview that company and, and those people and do your own research. Like you don't have to rely on just the interview process, like reach out to people on LinkedIn for an informal interview or get people's feedback and things like that. Like to, to make that more um, purposeful in your next move. Yeah.
1: Well, and I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause I think that's another reason why it's okay to kind of like put feelers out there every once in a while, even if you aren't sure you're ready to make a jump, because I think that if you are at the point of breaking and you're like, get me the F out of this company, I can't stand this person, I can't stand this job, I can't stand the whatever, you are more likely to jump at the first thing that comes along because mm-hmm. you just want to get out. And I always hope that people are running towards something, not away from something. And so if you kind of test the market every once in a while, or if you're feeling a little itchy one day and you just kind of like look out and talk to a couple people, there were times where I was at a company called Yodel for six and a half years, and I loved it there. But every once in a while, I'd get a little itchy, or someone a recruiter would reach out to me, and I'd have the conversation. And you know, often, obviously, because I was there for six and a half years, I'd say I actually have it pretty good here. It's not perfect, but I have it pretty good. Or I still have more I can do here. I'm going to stay. Um, but then other times, you know, especially towards the end after we got acquired. I said, you know something? I actually think I need to have some of these conversations. And I was like, ooh, that's actually kind of interesting. That one sounds Mm -hmm. good. And so like you kind of can feel your energy and it's okay to have that conversation because to your point, otherwise, if you're wait till you're at the breaking point, you may make the decision of I just want a job versus, oh, I don't want to have to do this again in a year. Let me find the right thing.
0: Yeah, I love the way you describe that it as itchy. It's like you got that little like, oh, there's a little something there like itchy. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. So it's I'm like, oh, I've never described it like that before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's important because you should always have that conversation as a recruiter on my briefs sit there. The one big takeaway was that you should always have that conversation because like you said, you never know, like you may not be looking for a job, but someone may have something that sounds really interesting and is a really good fit for you. Or you could talk to somebody or apply for a job and um, even get the interview and realize like, you know what? Like you said, like, I have it pretty good where I'm at, like, I don't want to make a move, like, and it's validated and reassuring for your current role. So I feel like there's really no harm, no foul, like you said, to put your feelers out there because it's either going to test the waters of what the market's like and whether you want to make a move or just validate your decision to stay at your company.
1: Yeah. And going back to that community conversation, if you decide now isn't the time, but you had a good conversation with someone, guess what? In a year or two years when you do want to make the move, you can reach back out to them. There was one recruiter, actually two recruiters at some bigger companies that were sort of what I thought were on my dream list, even though it once I actually learned about more about the company, they weren't. But And every once in a while I'd reach out to them. I'm like, hey, I'm just kind of poking my head up. We had a great conversation. We'd love to reconnect, see what's out there in your company right now. And usually they took the call or if they literally didn't have anything they you know they wouldn't but it was a relationship that i had with a recruiter that i could
0: you know ping every once in a while i think that's important too to keep in mind what you just said like a lot of people think that the the grass is greener on the other side but mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case like you said those are your dream companies and once you learn more you're like oh maybe this is not quite it like like it always seems like it's there, but it's really the grass, the greener where you water it and whether you choose to water it where you currently are in your current role and or, or company, or you choose to water it somewhere else, like that's where you're going to to thrive. And if you're being purposeful about it, you can really thrive because you're, you're aligning your values and your purpose with the work that you're doing every day.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, that kind of goes back to as well, a different version of community is if you are constantly quote-unquote networking with people in companies or roles that you're interested in, it gives you an inside look into something. And so I recently connected a client with someone at a company that I, I knew that person. I said, hey, they work at such and such company. Why don't you all chat? And he said, this company is really kind of going through some tough times. I actually wouldn't suggest joining us right now. Um, and that was really helpful for her. Or um, a really good friend of mine just accepted a job at, at literally her dream company. And she the role is awesome, but she's really realizing the politics of the company are tough. And it's that's actually not a judgment. It's like the way they're organized and who they work with and, and whatever. But she's really struggling with it she's like no, no no this is my dream job like i should be really excited to be in this role so um by finding people to connect with in industries at companies in roles that you're interested in before you ever get to the application stage just helps you learn more and, and it may um, confirm that that's the kind of direction you want to go or maybe it's not and like asking them honest questions about you know how are decisions made? How much autonomy do you have? You know, what's the work like? What does it actually mean to be a product manager? I think it's this. Is that actually what it means? Like learning that along the way could be really helpful. Yeah. And I
0: think we live in a world now where companies always want to put their best foot forward. So they have these beautiful careers, websites, and these social media <laughs> profiles, and they're telling all of these stories. But I really think it takes a special company and brand to match those to make sure like their internal experience matches what their external experiences. And that's something I think about all day long in, in my, in my current role um, because you want to make sure that the perception of what you're showing other people is what the reality is when they're coming in yeah. for an interview or they're starting a job. They're like, wait, but you sold me on all of these great things and these benefits <laughs> and perks and pretty wet pictures and all of these things. And then you get there and you're like, like you said, there's internal politics or there's other things that like don't sit right, quite right with you. But, it's it's really up to you to do that due diligence and i love that idea of of constantly networking and and keeping those lines of communication open just to get get that information get that intel
1: yeah and going back to what you said earlier around like you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you my coaching partner who's a former recruiter says some of the best uh, questions he would get and honestly the hardest in a good way as a recruiter was the behavioral questions back so you know in, in today's world, often our interview is like, tell me about a time when, and that's the kind of interview questions you're going to get. We'll flip that back to them. So if like career development is something that's really important to you, ask the hiring manager, tell me about someone you just recently promoted. Like, how did you help them get that promotion? Or... Tell me about, you know, what you've uh, done to do, blah, 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 blah. So instead of like, tell me about your, ask, you know, tell me about your culture. Well, they're just going to spit back what's on the website. If you ask them for actual examples of things, just like they've asked you for actual examples of things, you'll get a better sense of, or, you know, tell me about a time you had someone struggling on your team. Like, how did you help them? Like, what if I stumble? How are you going to help me? Like, you know, that's, that's what you're sort of getting out
0: of that conversation. Yes, that's such good advice. I want to bring something up that I, I we talked about briefly before we started recording, and that's the concept of people leaving jobs and how long should you stay in a job and what that longevity looks like. Because I think oftentimes we hear, and I, I hear this in the articles that I read and like the people I follow on, on social media, it's like if you are not getting promoted or receiving a raise every two years, you should leave your company. You should get a new job, get out, or you're um, limiting your income potential and all of these things. So like they're encouraging people to leave. But I do think that there's value in staying at a company and showing that loyalty and really digging in and getting that depth of knowledge in one place. But like, what is that right number? How long is too long to stay somewhere? And I'd love your perspective as a career coach on what you've seen work, what you hear like perceptions from from employees and from from companies.
1: Yeah, my, my first part is to go back to the conversation and having we were a little, little while ago about what's important to you at this moment. So, you know, some people may want just the stability of like, I got this, I know this, I can't take on change. And so I'm just going to stay here for a while because I just kind of need to play at my feet and like have some stability for a while. So, so the first question is like, what do you need over the next few years or what do you need right now? Because that might change my answer. Um, but I think outside of that more like, holistically, it really is about what opportunities are you getting? So yes, the literal answer is most of the time, if you change jobs, if you're staying within the same field, like you're not going to a startup, if you're at a big company or like whatever, you probably get more money at the next job. However, you're starting from scratch. You've got to rebuild all your credibility, all that trust. You know, Right now, if you can sort of pop out for a doctor's appointment and nobody cares, you have to rebuild all of that. You also have to rebuild your knowledge and get to know the team. And there's risk about the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. So is the little bit of more money you're going to get in a new job worth it? Maybe yes, maybe no. That Those are kind of the questions you have to ask yourself. I think... When you think about is it time to go or not based on years, it's really about are you still feeling challenged? Are you still enjoying the work? Do you still feel the impact of the work you're doing? If you've kind of plateaued, then that's probably the moment that makes sense to change. Um, I definitely, so it's interesting. You're talking to someone who, once I really got into my HR career, I did four years, five and a half years. Well, then I did two years. No, I did four years, two years because I was just, I, we hated where we lived. It was nothing about the company. We just, <laughs> we had moved to this area that just is not the right fit for us or we like get us out of this area. Um, but then I did five years, seven years. So I definitely am a, a loyal person. But it's really interesting. But it was because I kind of kept learning new things. And like I said, when I was in that place that the town and like area wasn't right for us. I did feel like I kind of had to put in a couple of years so that we didn't just bounce again. Um, But otherwise, I think it's really more about what are you learning? You know, when I was at the company I was at for five and a half years, I went from HR business partner to VP. So like I had an amazing journey during that time. Um, But then when I was at Uh, My last company for seven years, I went from VP to CPO, which is awesome. Do not get me wrong. That's a very lovely title and whatever. But the growth was different because I was at a different stage of my career. You know, as a director and above, you're not going to get promoted every two years. You know, those two-year increments are probably earlier in your career. And then as you become a manager and a more senior leader, you're going to be in those roles for three, five, seven years, depending on the level. So I think you also need to reset your expectations around you know, what is the career path for this, or what is the career directory for these kinds of roles? Because that is going to also change throughout your career. Um, so again, you know, I know people are like, well, what's the answer? Just tell me five years. Like, just tell me what the answer is. Um, there isn't an, an actual answer because it really depends on where you are in your career. What are you trying to get out of your career? How's your company treating you? Are you enjoying what you're doing? Do you still feel challenged? Those are the questions you should be asking yourself and less worried about the number on the resume that's going to pop up on LinkedIn when you like check the box that you left or that you stayed. The only other thing I'll add is on the flip side, and I was just having this conversation with um, one of my recruiters, is that if you are also a little jumpier right now, that's more understandable these last few years. One, literally we went through a pandemic and that you know obviously threw everybody's career paths off. Then we went through an economic tough time, at least if you're here in the States. Um, Also, people were making some personal decisions. Like if I don't believe my company treated me right during some of that time, I might have proactively made the change. I may have had to leave because kids, parents, partner, health, whatever. I may have just gotten so burnt out, I needed a break. So like there is a much more as long as there's not a pattern of it of like every nine months you're jumping as long as there's not a pattern, there's a much more understanding, empathy, willingness to see someone like, oh, they were only in a job for a year or 18 months. All right, let me at least talk to them because I want to hear the story. And then as a candidate, just be ready with that story.
0: Something you said is really important. And I think the piece that's missing from that advice that people give that you should leave your job, because I feel like it's very money motivated or um, Mm -hmm. progression motivated. But like you said, it's, what does that total picture look like for you? Because if if you feel supported in your role, if you like your team, if you like, said you have that flexibility or autonomy, and that's what's valuable to you at this time in your life, that might be worth a bigger pay, like more worth more than a bigger paycheck. So knowing what, what is important to you, like, yeah, another title or more money are great, but they're more artificial. I feel like they're the things that are actually going to impact your immediate day to day, which is having a team that you really enjoy working with and a company that you feel like you're supported at and you can grow at. So I think you have to paint that whole picture. And I, I think that's the piece of the conversation that's missing when you hear a lot of this advice, like, oh, we'll just leave. Like, it's, it's, there's just that simple. Like, you have to leave. And I'm like, I don't think it's that black and white. And that's, so I think people are getting misguided in that way that they're like, oh well, I have to leave. I've been here for two years and I haven't gotten a raise or I don't want to see a promotion in my future. Like, that, that's not the case because if there's a lot of other benefits that you're getting from your job that aren't title or money then it's worth kind of planting your feet and, and growing where you are.
1: Yeah, and, and I know the advice I'm about to give is not always easy, but I really encourage people to talk to your manager, talk to your HR partner. Like if you're feeling that and having those questions, talk to them because they would much rather be have a conversation with you. Most of the time, I can't speak for all companies, I can't speak for all managers and HR people, but in my experience, I would much rather have a conversation with you and hear where you're feeling stuck And either say, oh, you know, yes, maybe we overlooked something, maybe we have missed something or whatever. Let me see what I can do. Let me do whatever. Or, you know, look, I I understand your perspective merits right around the corner. Let's kind of talk more after that. Let's have a conversation with your manager about what that promotional path looks like. Do you understand like where you are today and where you, what the next role is and where those gaps are or are you hearing those things and you just disagree and that's fine, but then that's your decision to disagree or not. Um, we're sort of telling you all the things um, because it is rarely about money. Look, if the money gap is big enough, of course it is. If you're going to pay me $25,000 in another company, clearly I'm going to think about that because that is life-changing money. But otherwise, you know, when people say, oh, I quit and it's because they're giving me 5K more, it's not about the 5K. There's something that we're missing as an organization, or they disagree with in how we're handling something within the organization. And if I could have that conversation first before they just give two weeks' notice, I'd rather. Um, but again, I, I realize a lot of trust comes with that, and that may not may not be you know built
0: into those relationships yet. Yeah, so you definitely have to have that level of trust. But I think there is a lot of value in having those conversations if you feel like you can be open and honest with your your manager or someone in HR in that way. Um, and I'll share a, a personal anecdote about that. I had someone reach out about a job uh, probably six eight months a year ago or so. And it was a lot more, like you said, it was probably like 25K more, if not a little bit more than that. And I was like, oh, like you said, I'm like, oh, okay, like my ears are perked up. Like, tell me a little bit more but then I realized that they required us to be in the office. So mm-hmm. they're like, our team has to be in the office three days a week and all of that. And like, I was literally doing the math on how much time I would lose commuting that I wouldn't be able to spend with my family, how much money I'd have to spend in gas and parking and all of those additional things that I don't have to think about at the moment. And I was like, that's not worth it. Like yeah. that, those like 10 extra hours a week, I'm going to spend commuting like an hour there, an hour back. Like, I'm like, that's not worth it to me. I was like, I'd rather work from home and and make less money. And I'm like, that was a really eye-opening experience for me because you have to put all of the cards on the table. Like, it's not just about the money. It's about the entire picture of of what you're getting when you're going to work for a company. Yeah.
1: Yep. Absolutely. 100%.
0: So I want to wrap up by asking what your biggest takeaway is from your career thus far. I
1: really think it is figuring out what's right for you. I have tried to box myself in a couple of times for a variety of reasons, or I made decisions that I knew in my gut weren't right, but like something about it just attracted me. And so I went for it, or I didn't take a moment to think about the big picture and I was too reactionary and your gut's always right. I mean, you know, spidey sense, whatever you want to call it. Um, So really figure out what's right for you, Avoid the comparisons as much as possible. Advocate for yourself. Tr- you know, challenge yourself. I, I, you know, definitely all the things. Don't be complacent in your career, but do what's right for you, your immediate circle, whatever that looks like. Um, because it really is a journey in both life and career. And if one of those is off, it's going to affect the other one. So, I get it. Be ambitious. I'm very ambitious. I'm very goal oriented. I'm a high achiever. All the things but you have to figure out how it all fits into the bigger picture and what's right for you at that moment. And that may be different than it was two years ago. And it may be different two years from now and that's all okay.
0: That is great advice to end on. So where can people find more about, find out more about you and follow you and your work and if they are interested in working with you as a career coach? Yeah. So you can follow me
1: on LinkedIn. It's just Karen D Weeks. um, And I post there about both broader career stuff uh, as well as like culture and things going on um, at obviously where I'm the global chief people officer. Um, And then from the career side, uh, we're at shineatwork.net and we have a podcast shine at work. So basically shine at work is everywhere, wherever social media, whatever you follow. Uh, And that's the name of the podcast as well. So depending on what you're interested in learning more about. Those are a couple of places you can find me. Awesome.
0: I'll be sure to link those in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a great conversation. I feel like I could ask you a million more questions and talk all things career and <laughs> in life with you. This was so good. Um, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you again. I think it's, I love the the focus on those first 10 years because I think you learned so much. What you thought you were going to do when you are 18 and 23 is totally different uh, as you move through your 20s. So thank you so much for
0: highlighting that part of our career. Absolutely. I am more than happy to do it. It has been a fun journey. If you enjoyed my conversation with Karen, please make sure to hit subscribe, leave a rating and review. It would mean the world to me as I continue to grow this platform and share these great conversations with more people. If you want to connect with the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at first 10 years podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Danielle Doolin. You can send me an email at the first 10 years podcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, bye.